AFF on Air, the Australian Frequent Flyer podcast is boarding. Step on board for the latest news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. Your captain, Matt Graham, now invites you to sit back, relax and enjoy the episode. G'day and welcome to episode 91 of AFF On Air. It's the 20th of August. In this episode, we'll take a close look at two different tools and resources that can make your international travel easier in 2022. We'll explore how air tax can help if an airline loses your luggage, something that's happening more and more these days. And then later in the episode, I'll chat to David Riley from a company called Sherpa, which is behind some of the very useful online resources that you may have come across when researching what's required to travel to another country, either during or after the pandemic. But first, let's begin with a roundup of the latest Australian airline travel and loyalty program news from the past fortnight. And firstly, Qantas has launched a new co-chair partnership with Indigo, a low-cost carrier based in India, ahead of the launch of its Sydney to Bengaluru route next month. Qantas customers flying to Bengaluru will be able to connect onto Qantas co-chair services operated by Indigo to 11 initial destinations, including Mumbai, Chennai, Goa and Hyderabad, and that will increase to more destinations in the future. From the 14th of September, Qantas customers travelling from Melbourne to Delhi will also be able to connect onwards to Kochi or Amritsar. The Qantas code shares will be available on selected services booked in conjunction with the Qantas flights, and customers booked on those code share flight numbers will benefit from complimentary checked baggage and a meal on board. It will also be possible to earn Qantas points and status credits on these flights, as well as to redeem Qantas points for classic reward seats in economy class. Speaking of Qantas International flights, Qantas now has two new Pacific Island destinations in Tonga and Samoa. Qantas is now running weekly Airbus A330 flights from Sydney to Nukualofa in Tonga on Thursdays. It's also running an A330 from Sydney to Apia via Brisbane, with the return leg operating direct from Apia back to Sydney on Tuesdays. It's also possible to book a seat just on the Sydney to Brisbane leg of the Arpia service, which departs and arrives at the international terminals. And that would theoretically be a nice opportunity for Platinum members to visit the first lounge as well, other than the fact that this flight departs Sydney at 6.25am. Meanwhile, thousands of Qantas passengers with international bookings from Sydney or Melbourne received notifications last Tuesday that their flight's departure time had been pushed back by one minute. Then on Wednesday the next day, Qantas moved the departure times on those flights forward by one minute, reinstating the original departure times, and all of these bookings, because of the schedule changes, needed to be reticketed. Now, it seems odd, but there is a reason why Qantas has done this. Last week, Qantas increased the minimum connection times for domestic to international connections through Sydney and Melbourne airports. Um, They were previously 60 minutes, which frankly was completely unrealistic, um, especially in Sydney where you need to change terminals, to 90 minutes, and that change affects flights departing from tomorrow. Now, this was done to reduce the number of Qantas passengers missing their international connections and also to reduce the number of bags that have been missing the connections. Um, Obviously, it's not great when you turn up to an international destination without your luggage. 
But Qantas had already sold a lot of tickets with connection times shorter than 90 minutes through Sydney and Melbourne. Now, in order to ensure that tickets which are no longer valid would be flagged for rebooking, that's why Qantas intentionally changed the departure times on all its international flights out of Sydney and Melbourne by one minute in order to trigger a schedule change notification and flag those bookings that do need rebooking. Virgin Australia has brought back its Discover Velocity Gold status match for frequent flyers who already hold an equivalent status with other airlines, including Qantas. In addition to Qantas Gold, Platinum and Platinum One members, this offer is available to frequent flyers of many other One World, Star Alliance and SkyTeam airlines, as well as others. With a Discover Gold membership from Velocity Frequent Flyer, you'll be able to enjoy gold status benefits with Virgin Australia and its partner airlines for three months at no cost. You can then extend your status for another 12 months by taking at least one paid Virgin Australia flight and earning at least 80 status credits within that three-month trial period. And that could be as easy as booking a one-way business class flight from Melbourne to Brisbane or the Gold Coast for $299. Unfortunately, this status match is not available to anyone who has previously held any status tier level other than red with Virgin's Velocity program. Turkish Airlines, a member of Star Alliance, is also offering status matches at the moment as part of its ongoing offer. You could be eligible for Turkish Airlines Miles and Smiles Elite status, which is equivalent to Star Alliance Gold. If you currently have One World Emerald status, Star Alliance Gold, Sky Team Elite Plus, Emirates Skywards Gold or Platinum, Etihad Gold or Platinum, or LR Platinum or Top Platinum. Now, One World Emerald includes Qantas Platinum and Qantas Platinum 1, but it does not include Qantas Gold status. With the Turkish Airlines match, you'll get Miles and Smiles Elite status for four months, and then you would need to take one Turkish Airlines international flight for which you earn miles within those four months in order to extend your status out for another eight months. And there's also an opportunity to requalify for another year at a reduced number of miles as well. The Virgin Australia Lounge at Melbourne Airport is now located after the security checkpoint, making it easier to head into the departure gates in Terminals 3 and 4, directly from the lounge. Now, the lounge has not physically moved, but since last week, the large Terminal 4 security checkpoint at Melbourne Airport is now a central checkpoint that also serves Terminal 3. Virgin passengers will still need to check in at Terminal 3, but now head over to the Terminal 4 checkpoint to access all the departure gates and the Virgin Lounge. That's a slight improvement for eligible Virgin passengers flying out of Melbourne on a domestic flight. Unfortunately, though, it makes it harder for passengers on Virgin Australia-operated flights from Melbourne to Bali or Fiji, who will now need to clear security in Terminal 4 if they want to use the lounge before their flight, and then, of course, go back into Terminal 2 and clear immigration and security there. Meanwhile, Virgin Australia passengers in Sydney, Brisbane, Bali and Fiji currently do not have access to any airport lounges, even business class Velocity Gold and Platinum members. Virgin's Perth Lounge is also currently closing at 6pm each day, meaning that there's no lounge access available in Perth prior to any of the red-eye departures to the East Coast. Until the end of this year, Velocity Frequent Flyer is offering 20% bonus status credits, though, when flying on a Virgin Australia-operated or marketed international flight, and that includes codeshare flights with a VA flight number operated by United Airlines. And Velocity Frequent Fly will also start offering points on Link Airways flights from next Monday. Link Airways is a regional airline that flies around New South Wales and Queensland mainly. 
Link Airways passengers will be able to earn between two and five velocity points per dollar spent on their tickets, um, with the cheaper tickets earning two velocity points and Freedom and Flexible fares earning five velocity points per dollar. Unfortunately, Velocity members won't be able to earn status credits or tier bonus points on Link Airways flights, and there's also no possibility to redeem Velocity points with that airline. Once the partnership launches on Monday, Link Airways passengers booked on a Freedom or Flexible ticket will also be able to access the Virgin Australia Lounge when flying out of Brisbane, Canberra or Sydney before their flight. In other airport lounge news, Adelaide Airport will soon receive a brand new Plaza Premium Lounge in the International Departures area. This will be the only lounge at Adelaide Airport that isn't operated by an airline, and it will be located after the immigration and security checkpoint for international departures. Plaza Premium says this lounge is coming soon, but there's no current completion date for the construction. And in Brisbane, Emirates is currently renovating its international lounge, with also no completion date announced yet. At the moment, Emirates passengers in Brisbane who are eligible for lounge access are being instead sent to the Plaza Premium Lounge, and some could also be eligible to use the Qantas Lounge if it's open at the right time. Eligible passengers with Emirates in Auckland, meanwhile, where the Emirates Lounge is currently still closed, are being invited into the Air New Zealand Lounge. Qatar Airways is also now inviting its own business class and first class passengers to the Air New Zealand lounges in Australia and New Zealand at the moment, instead of the lounges operated by its One World partner, Qantas. And speaking of Qatar Airways and Qantas, sadly the issues with Qatar Airways award availability not showing on the Qantas website still have not been resolved after more than two weeks. You can still redeem Qantas points at the moment for classic reward seats on Qatar Airways up until the middle of November this year, but between mid-November and mid-April next year, only economy seats on Qatar are showing on the Qantas website, and there are no Qatar Airways award seats at all showing for dates after around mid-April of next year. You can still book those seats for other travel dates with other One World Frequent Flyer Program currencies. Um, And in a few months, you should be able to book using Velocity Points as well, but still not with Qantas Points. During the pandemic, many hotels stopped offering daily housekeeping, citing health and safety reasons. This was largely understandable at the time, but it now appears that many hotels have no intention of resuming this service for their guests, and no, prices have not come down proportionately, of course. Many hotels are now only offering housekeeping on request or every two or three nights, and in many cases they're not even informing their guests of this when they book or when they check in. Some hotels have are now citing COVID-19 or environmental reasons for reducing housekeeping services, but obviously the real reason that most want to do this is that it saves money on labour costs. Admittedly, a large part of the problem also does seem to be a lack of staff though, and labour shortages of course are affecting many industries right now, not just hospitality or the airline industry. And Cathay Pacific has combined its two loyalty programs under a single new program called Cathay. This means that Cathay Pacific will no longer have a separate Marco Polo Club program for earning status and an Asia Miles program for the purpose of earning and redeeming miles. There have been a few minor changes to how status points are earned and how the program works overall, but the changes are pretty much insignificant. It's really uh, just a name change at this point. That's what's making news on australianfrequentflyer.com.au this fortnight. You can stay up to date between podcasts by subscribing to the Australian Frequent Flyer Gazette to get the latest Frequent Flyer news straight to your inbox for free every Monday and Thursday morning.
Well, if you've been watching the news in recent months or uh, perhaps you've even come across this yourself during your travels, hopefully not, but uh, the chances are you might have, you've probably seen the horror stories about airlines losing people's bags. Things got quite bad here in Australia during the last couple of school holiday periods in April and July. Uh, And at one point um, after the Easter holidays, Qantas had to fly an entire Boeing 787 from Melbourne to Sydney with no passengers just to fit in all the delayed passenger bags on board. Um, There were many thousands of those. At some European airports, the problem has become so bad that airlines, including KLM, have had to temporarily stop accepting checked bags entirely. And Heathrow Airport has imposed, infamously, imposed passenger caps for the next few months. And, I mean, the pictures have been just uh, horrendous. Like, you've probably seen on social media pictures of passengers' bags just strewn across um, airports, uh, you know, hundreds, even thousands of bags just sitting there unclaimed, not being processed um, because the airlines have been overwhelmed. In most cases, the bags are just delayed and are eventually returned to their owner, but this doesn't always happen. And it doesn't always happen as quickly as it otherwise could. As a traveller, of course, there's a few things you can do to minimise the risk of your luggage going missing, and the obvious solution is not to check in a bag. I mean, many frequent flyers travel with hand luggage only anyway, and they do this um, not only to save money on checked bag fees, but also for the time savings of not having to check in a bag and then wait at the other end at the carousel for a bag which may or may not arrive. Um, If you do need to check in a bag... Um, booking non-stop flights or avoiding tight connections can also help. But if you really do need to check in luggage, Apple AirTags could at least save you a lot of stress by helping you to track its location in real time. If you read the Australian Frequent Flyer Gazette last week, you might have seen my article on Apple AirTags. Now, I recently purchased one of these, and to be honest, I don't think I'll ever travel overseas again without it. So how does it work and how can it prevent your bag from going missing? Well, the short answer is that it doesn't actually stop your bag from going missing. That could still happen. But how the Apple AirTags work is that basically they're a small round device about the size of a 20 cent coin. And there is a long life battery inside that needs to be replaced around every one to two years. But other than the cost of the replacement batteries, there's just a one-off cost of $45 to order one of these from Apple. There's no like ongoing subscription fees. Now, how it works, according to the Apple website, um, and I'll I'll just quote this, your your AirTag sends out a secure Bluetooth signal that can be detected by nearby devices in the Find My network. These devices send the location of your AirTag to iCloud, and then you can go to the Find My app and see it on a map. The whole process is anonymous and encrypted to protect your privacy, and it's efficient, so there's no need to worry about battery life or data usage. So I just thought I'd explain, I'd just say what Apple says about this because I don't think I can explain it in any better terms. But basically, yeah, it sends out a Bluetooth signal. And as long as there's people around um, with an Apple device with Bluetooth turned on, um, the location of the AirTag will be able to be tracked in real time. So you can place the AirTag inside your suitcase and then use the Find My app on your Apple device, if you have one, to track the location at any time, as long as, yeah, as long as it's within range of people with um, Bluetooth turned on on their Apple device. Now, I gave this a try on a few recent trips, and it worked pretty well. Now, I must admit, I got a bit freaked out the first time I used it because I hadn't set it up properly, and I got a notification um, after I got on the plane that I'd actually left my suitcase behind. Um, now, it turned out that um, that I had just hadn't set it up properly. I'd set it up so that it would notify me as soon as I was no longer physically with the suitcase, which is not really um, helpful if I'm tracking um, the location when it's going around the airport and, and things. Um 
But yeah, and so that notification was activated when I was actually only a few hundred meters away from the bag. Um, but I disabled that feature and I still was able to continue tracking its location. Now, when in the air, the app did continue to say that my bag was on the ground at the Origin Airport, but it did update after we landed at the destination. Um, on arrival at the destination, then I could see that my bag was nearby. Um, and so I knew it had, it had arrived on the flight before it appeared on the luggage carousel. And of course, if you're tracking it really, you know, really closely, you could probably see, you know, whether the bag was being loaded onto the correct plane or, you know, and so on, um, if you really wanted to check whether your bag was on the right plane. Now, if my bag had not arrived, I probably could have avoided, obviously the bag still wouldn't have arrived, I can't do anything about that, but I could have avoided waiting around at the carousel and just gone straight to the baggage services counter um, before a queue formed. Now, in that case, the air tag, of course, wasn't needed, although it did give me a little bit of peace of mind. But I can recall one particular situation a few years ago where this information about where my bag was would have been really useful. Um, I was booked to fly with United Airlines from New York to Washington, D.C., and then connecting straight on to an Air Canada flight to Toronto. Now, unfortunately, there were storms around New York and my flight to D.C. got cancelled. And so I was rebooked on a direct United flight to Toronto, which was then also cancelled. And then the next one was also cancelled. And uh, basically, I was given a hotel and told to come back the next day. So I did, I did eventually fly to Toronto the next day. But of course, my checked bag did not arrive. Now, when I went to the United desk at Toronto, they told me that they thought my bag was in Washington, D.C., but that they would be sent on a later flight um, and that they would, they would um, give me a call when it arrived. But after five days, I was already finished up in Toronto. I was at the airport to leave and I still hadn't got my bag back. And I went over to the United counter and they still had no idea where my bag was. They thought it was still in Washington. So then I spent the next week traveling around North America without my bag. And eventually it was found in Toronto and it had actually been there the entire time. Um, but it was just in the Air Canada section rather than the United section or something. And then they weren't talking to each other. If I had have had an air tag in there, I could have actually seen where my bag was and I could have seen that it was in Toronto and someone might have been able to go and get it. But um, their system thought it was in a different airport. So that was really not great. Um, by the time that um, they did locate my bag, I was already um, in the other end of the country, but I was going to be traveling um, a few days later to Cincinnati. So I asked um, United to send my bag there and they said they would. When I arrived in Cincinnati, I went over to the United counter and they said that they had no record of my bag and their system thought it was in some other airport, which um, was not any of the airports that uh, <laughs> that I had been to previously or that my bag was should have been in. So it, their, their system was it didn't work, basically. Now, fortunately, I was persistent enough and I, I asked to have a look inside their lost luggage room in Cincinnati. And sure enough, the first thing I saw when I opened the door was my suitcase. Uh, if I'd had the air tag in my bag, though, it would have it wouldn't have come to that. I would have been able to see exactly where it was the whole time because um, the airline really didn't know, and um, and that that would have saved me a lot of hassle um, and having to buy all those new things as well. Um, so yeah, all around, it would have made life easier for both me and the airline. Now, of course, having an air air tag isn't much use if you can't find an airline employee who actually cares enough to help you. Um, you know, knowing that your bag is in a secure location in the airport is fine, but um, if there's no one at the air, at the airline or any airport ground staff who are willing to go and get it for you, then it's not 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 very useful. And um, to be honest, I can see how having access to this information in real time it might actually make some people more nervous or more anxious because it, you know it could be quite tempting just to go onto your phone and check every five minutes where your bag is. 
Um, and and it is possible that you might you might believe that your bag hasn't been loaded, even though it has been. I have heard a few a few cases like this because the you know the location hasn't been updated until after the plane has landed at the destination. But Overall, I think I would rather have the ability to see this information if I need it. And for $45 um, or $149 for a pack of four, I think that's a no-brainer. If you've been enjoying this podcast, you may be interested to know that I also host eight webinars per year for AFF's sister website, Frequent Flyer Solutions. Each interactive hour-long online webinar covers a timely topic of interest to frequent flyers and anyone in Australia looking to travel better for less. The next webinar will be held at 8pm Australian Eastern Standard Time on Wednesday the 7th of September 2022 and the topic will be the Singapore Airlines Chris Flyer Program for Aussies. If you'd like to attend any Frequent Flyer Solutions webinar, you will need to register in advance. For more information, visit frequentflyer.com.au. When COVID-19 struck, international travel suddenly became a lot more difficult. I mean, travelling interstate within Australia even became a bit of a nightmare, let alone heading overseas when countries were changing their entry restrictions constantly. For most people, international travel just became all too hard. But there was a small group of people that still needed to travel for whatever reason, and for them, finding out what they needed to do during the pandemic was not exactly an easy task at all. As borders then gradually began to reopen around the world, Airlines, of course, were keen to get their planes and their staff back in the air, but convincing passengers to book plane tickets when this would have required them to navigate the complex web of travel restrictions and COVID testing requirements was a tough gig for airlines and travel companies generally. What travellers and the travel industry really needed during this time, and in many ways still do, was a service that provides accurate, up-to-date information about travel restrictions and entry requirements in a way that's easy for everybody to read. And that's exactly what a company called Sherpa stepped in to provide. If you've found yourself researching international travel restrictions any time in the past two years, there's a good chance you might have come across Sherpa's excellent resources. Even if you didn't visit the Sherpa website directly, you might have even seen their helpful colour-coded map or their list of entry requirements on an airline website. Sherpa has now become the go-to resource for checking where you can travel and what's required to get there. And I'm joined today by the... Chief of Staff and one of the first 10 members of the team at Sherpa, David Riley. Welcome, David, to the AFF On Air podcast. Thanks, Matt. It's great to be here. So you were uh, at Sherpa before the pandemic struck. I mean, Sherpa was around before then. Can you just maybe give our, our listeners some insight into the history of Sherpa? How did it get started originally before the pandemic? Definitely. I mean, Sherpa got started about six years ago, and it initially started as uh, an app um, and the way that it started was the two co-founders were kind of driving and they wanted to start a business and they were in a car um, and somehow the conversation got around to what laws or how do the laws change when you cross uh, state lines. And so that was kind of the impetus to what Sherpa was. And initially it was just an app that people could go to and they could search up how laws would change as, uh, you know, you traveled across state lines within the US or provincial lines within Canada. So they started getting a bunch of feedback uh, from their users, always asking about visa requirements. Um, So that kind of broadened it out from within a country to more global travel. And they said, hmm, there might be something there. They both had actually had uh, visa, like visa themselves. And so they doubled down on the efforts and created 
an initial app that would just help travelers understand visa requirements and they would facilitate visa applications for them. That took us to about four years ago where they moved that app to an actual embeddable kind of software company where they started working directly with airlines or online travel agencies like What If. Um, and they basically enabled them to start displaying visa requirements. And then if there was any electronic visas that a traveler needed, they helped facilitate that uh, e-visa application at the time of booking. Okay, so I guess you guys still do that. But during the pandemic, obviously, um, Sherpa evolved into what has become you know, really quite a useful resource. And I want to talk about that in a moment. But just firstly, why is the company called Sherpa? Why the name? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. It's, it's a bit of a funny story. I'm going to try to boil it down, but essentially our two uh, co-founders, um, when they were naming uh, the company, they were speaking to a lawyer and the conversation around uh, copyright and sort of naming infringement came up. And the lawyer told them, you know, you can't copyright countries, you can't copy or you can't trademark countries or you can't copyright uh, groups of people. And both founders were avid uh, rock climbers at the time. And so they heard groups of people. And then they were like, well, what about Sherpa? It kind of, you know, there's this metaphor that a Sherpa will help someone, you know, get up the mountain and we do the same thing. But instead of physically climbing a mountain, we help people understand their travel documentation. Oh, cool. Okay, so yeah, when when the COVID-19 pandemic hit, international travel obviously became a lot more complicated. I recall that at the start of the pandemic, there weren't a lot of resources to help with navigating this. There's, you know, there's Timatic or like the IATA Travel Centre, which is what airlines uh, were using mostly before the pandemic, but they offer limited access to the general public and they're not exactly user-friendly. In fact, reading through a thematic uh, page on travel requirements is like reading a page of algebra to to most people. And so when I learned that Sherpa was developing tools to help travellers navigate all the border rules, I was actually quite a relief to know that there was someone who was actually checking this stuff. And it certainly has been helpful. So I want to ask you, when the pandemic hit, like obviously most most other companies decided it was just no longer worth keeping up with all the changing travel restrictions. You know, there was very few people traveling and it would have been a lot of effort to do that. So why did Sherpa decide to pivot and get into this space? It wasn't necessarily a massive pivot. We were already understanding complexities that people needed to like to know before they travel. Um, so it was kind of an enhancement of the information that we were already showing. Uh, and because of all the work we were doing with visa requirements pre-pandemic, it allowed us to think of the same processes and apply them to the changing nature of travel restrictions. Um, I remember a a conversation we had kind of internally um, right when COVID hit and no one really knew what was going on or what we had to do, but we just started aggregating the information globally of what it would take to get from, you know, country A to country B. And we worked very much with our existing you know, customer network or partner network at the time to ask them what their travelers were asking them. And then they were giving us that information. So there, there was all kinds of, you know, uh, feedback loops from our partners, from their travelers to them. And then from us just being avid travel fans ourselves, understanding how to get around the world. And it all kind of, you know, merged into um, the beginning stages of, of uh, the Sherpa COVID-19 product. Mm. That's really a um, good piece of business advice generally. Ask the customer what they want rather than creating something and then trying to sell it to them. Like that's a really, that's a really good tip. But um, obviously the, the tr- you know, the travel restrictions were changing so much, like even hourly in some cases. 
how does Sherpa or how did or does Sherpa actually maintain all of this information when there's so many moving parts? It's a, another great question. It's it's really a combination of two things. Uh, one is automation and the second is, is our operations team. Um, essentially, we monitor, uh, I think at its peak, just under 2,700 different government sources uh, and airline sources. And so these would, yeah, they would just be all the, you know, the publicly available websites that would display uh, travel restrictions. And then what would happen is on a continuous basis, we would monitor these sources for changes. Every hour, you know, we would put together a list of these sources that had changed. That list would then get sent to the operations team who would then see what the change on that source was, but then also contextualize it so it made sense. We like to think of it as turning kind of the, the government essays into an easy to understand tweet for a traveler just to, to know what's going on. Yeah. Okay. So it's a bit of automation and, and quite a lot of, uh, you know, sort of manual work. How, how many people do you need to be able to like keep on track, keep on top of all of these different government websites and resources and things? Uh, we had about seven people, I believe. Uh, and that was also spread out just so we had coverage for different time zones. Um, so we didn't have any dead spots. And I guess Sherpa's like obviously grown a lot since the pandemic. How many people did you have um, you know, before the pandemic compared to now working for you? Yeah, so leading into March of the pandemic, we had, uh, I believe, 15 people and we're at 85 right now. Wow. So that, that's a huge amount of growth in just a couple of years. Yeah, it's been a, been a lot of growth and with it comes a lot of uh, changes, but it's been exciting. Yeah, no, definitely. So what, what information exactly can the public access from your website? So, like, is it free for the public to use and like, what kind of things can they find? Yeah, there's the, we have a free version um, out there. Um, so on that version, the, the public can see um, essentially like what information they would need to travel. So all of the travel requirements or the restrictions. So do you need to get a COVID test? What type of COVID test? Do you have to quarantine? Does it differ if you're vaccinated or not vaccinated? What is a fully vaccinated traveler defined as in this country? So all of that stuff, any health attestations, passenger locator forms, traveler declaration forms, specific country apps. So I know the, the EU has an app that they use. Uh, I believe Canada might have one as well, or they may have just gotten rid of that, but there is a route can. And then that's all kind of the travel requirement side. We also have the, uh, the visa side of things. So, you know, all the visa requirements. Do you need a visa? Do you not need a visa? What kind of visa do you need to get? All of that stuff. Oh, cool. So if you're planning a trip, you go onto the Sherpa website and put in your destination and your vaccination status and where you're transiting through, and then that just spits out all that information in one easy-to-read place? Exactly. That, that's that's really useful resource. And obviously, you also work with a lot of airlines and travel companies. And I often see Sherpa referenced, um, you know, like when you go into an airline website to manage your booking, and it'll have a little section mm -hmm. um, talking about what travel requirements you need. And often it has, a, it has either a Sherpa widget or a link directly to the Sherpa website or information sourced from Sherpa. A lot of travel companies are using this. So what, what, what do you offer? Like, what does Sherpa offer to airlines and travel businesses exactly? Definitely. So we offer three different types of integrations. So the first we offer would be a link to a co-branded site. So it would have our logo and our partner's logo on it. It's kind of the uh, the easiest integrate option that we have, but essentially an airline or a partner would just use it. They would link out to it from anywhere, from their management booking page, like you said, from any emails they may be sending out in correspondence to their customers, banners on their homepage, things of that nature. The second option we have is what's called our embeddable elements. These are, um, they're kind of like widgets or they're iframes that can sit anywhere within the customer experience 
on an airline site, on an OTA site, within any website really. Mobile responsive, so they can go into the apps as well. Uh, but these are uh, still easy to integrate, but they're more uh, controlled environments and they're more embedded. So they feel uh, more like the, you know, the airlines experience that they're integrated within. And then the third option we have is what's called our API. This is essentially all the, the logic and information that we have available as an API. So if our partner wants to build something custom, if they want to do uh, something really interesting, like Air Canada has a, um, a travel hub that they use and they use our API to power that. And all the information they present is styled like Air Canada would style anything they have, but it's the information that we provide. Oh, that's great. And so which airlines and travel businesses do you work with? There must be quite a few now. We work with about 200 different brands right now. Wow. Um, so some of the major ca- carriers um, would be Air Canada, British Airways, Lufthansa, uh, Qantas. I'm definitely missing a few. Cathay, Jal, uh, Korean Air. So some of the larger airlines, Star Alliance, One World. Um, we work with quite a few OTAs, uh, Expedia, Agoda, Booking.com. And then there's just other, you know, corporate travel companies, tour operators like G-Adventures, uh, the Travel Corporation, things of that nature. So there's quite a few brands now that we work with. All right. And so, yeah, and you've got even quarters in Australia. And I think you might even work with Jetstar. I think I've seen Sherpa's stuff on the Jetstar website, another Australian airline. Yeah, we work with both. Yeah, it's huge. Uh, I want to ask you, like, what are your personal observations about how travel restrictions have changed sort of globally over the course of the pandemic? So at the beginning of COVID, it was really a yes, no, can I travel there uh, decision. So in some ways, it was uh, a bit easier to understand because it was literally, can I go to this country? Can I not? Are they accepting travelers? Mm-hmm. As travel progressed and you know more people were, were traveling, uh, it got a bit more complex because there was various levels of you know, almost, I don't know what the correct word is, but uh, essentially just governments were had different risk tolerances to people coming into their company or they viewed COVID in different sort of ways. And then with the emergence of vaccines, it got even more complex. So almost with every restriction and requirement that was introduced, it created new complexities. At its peak, there was just a ton. Every one of different nationalities going to any different kind of country would have a different requirement of different vaccine you know, level. Um, it seems to be teetering off now globally, and there still are a few um, hot spots that will emerge and then restrictions will pop up for a couple of weeks or a few months, and then they'll go away. Um, but largely, it's it's definitely uh, diminished, is what I've seen. Yeah, I remember at the height of the pandemic, like uh, having a look at the color, excellent color-coded map on the Sherpa website, like just where you can travel as a vaccinated Australian. There was not that many places. I mean, Australia, well, Australia was closed and you couldn't leave for a while. But even, even after that happened, there was over 100 countries that you either couldn't travel to or had some sort of quarantine or testing restrictions. Now, like having a look on the Sherpa website, there's only eight countries that are actually listed as having restricted entry. Um, So it seems to be more or less um, easing up, but there are still countries where entry is restricted. Is that, are there still countries where they have actual COVID restrictions? Like, is that, are there many countries that have still got COVID restrictions or are most of the countries that are left with, um, that are hard to get to more for political or other reasons at the moment? Uh, It's a good question. I'm not too sure off the top of my head i mean there's yeah i have to look at our map that's kind of uh, i'm not too sure um but it would take all that into account yeah i think cameroon might be one of the last few that still has covid entry strings oh and maybe china but, but there's mm-hmm. there's not doesn't seem to be too many left it seems it seems like as far as travel restrictions are concerned the pandemic is almost over in most parts of the world at least i'd like to think that for outbound Australians, I, it changes, right? For different nationalities going to different countries. Yeah, that's true. So yeah, it, uh, 
Yeah. But I guess one of the great things about the Sherpa website is you can put in your nationality, you can put in, you know, where you're coming from, and then the tool actually configures the information based on all of those different factors. So it's definitely a useful resource there. Exactly. And if you have two passports to choose from, it'll allow you to kind of choose between which one uh, gives you easier restrictions or requirements to go to a country or even easier visa requirements. That's a good point. Yeah. Is Sherpa looking to introduce any other new services into the future? Uh, new services. Uh, I mean, we're a, a quickly growing startup, so we're always looking at evaluating new things. Um, but our focus kind of in the, the short to midterm is just back to our roots. So back to the visa requirements and to the e-visa fulfillment and facilitation um, and just doing that in a more delightful way. So it becomes less of a pain for travelers. So some sort of trends we're seeing in the the visa industry. So right now there are 67 countries that have active e-visa requirements um, today. Uh, By the end of 2023, beginning of 2025, we expect 125 Wow. requirements um this includes yeah the, the eu is launching something it's called the etias so it stands for european travel information authorization system yeah i've i've heard about that is is that actually online yet or when's that going to be implemented so they're saying now the new revised date is november of 2023 it's been pushed a couple of times um but when it is live it will be similar to kind of how canada has their eta australia has their eta and the u.s has their esta it's just for you know Visa exempt travelers typically going to the EU will have to get this electronic requirement. Uh, and it's something that a lot of these visa exempt travelers have never had to do before. So it'll catch them off guard unless they're aware of it beforehand. Finally, Sherpa is obviously a country about border crossings. And um, as one of, the, uh, one of the first members of the Sherpa team, I'm sure you've done a fair bit of travel yourself. What, what would you say is the most interesting destination you've visited so far? Um... That's a good question. Well, I think that I was really blown away by Turkey when I went there. It was a really interesting place. Oh, it's a great place. Yeah, it's probably the most exotic place that I've I've been to, Turkey or Dubai. Um, I I love London. London's by far my my favorite city to travel to. I think it just so much different stuff to do there. But that's it's it's not as exotic and it's not as interesting. There's just uh, it's it speaks to me for whatever reason. Okay. Have you been to Australia? It's on my list. I haven't made it that far yet. I hope you can get down here soon. And the um, the border restrictions, as you know, are mostly gone. So hopefully you can come down soon and visit. Well, David, Riley, thank you so much for, for joining me um, from Montreal today. Um, I'm going to, for our listeners, put a link in the show notes to the Chef website. So if you're interested, you can have a look at um, what they do. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks, Matt. It's been a pleasure. And that's all for this episode of AFF On Air. Thanks again to my guest, David Riley from Sherpa. And thank you very much for listening. For more information about anything discussed in today's episode, check out the episode notes. Here you'll also find a link to the AFF On Air discussion thread on the Australian Frequent Flyer Forum, where you're welcome to discuss the podcast or ask me a question to be answered in a future episode. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you'd take just a minute to review AFF On Air on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcasting platform to receive every episode as soon as it's released. I'm Matt Graham, and I'll be back next fortnight with more news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. And until then, safe travels. Listener.